trains and fluorescent lights, such a trip would take about 30 minutes. But ever since the world the words red line had been written in capital letters and the red calico banner had hung over the pedestrian tunnel to Christy Prudy, there was no point even thinking of a shortcut to Polis. The leadership of the red line had abandoned attempts to force the population of the whole metro to be happy by forcing Soviet power on them, and it was adopted a, a new doctrine which established communism along a separate line of the metro system. Though it had been unable to dispense with its original dream and continued to call the metro system the V.I. Lenin Metropolitan, it had taken no practical steps to pursue the grand plan for a while. But despite the seemingly peaceful behavior of the regime, it, it, its internal paranoid nature hadn't changed at all. Hundreds of agents of the Internal Security Service, like in the old days with a certain nostalgia for the KGB, constantly and diligently, diligently watched the happy inhabitants of the Red Line, and their interest in guests from other lines was unending. Without the special permission of the management of the Reds, no one could go to any other station. In the constant monitoring of passports, the total watching and the general clinical suspicion was imposed on the accidental travelers as well as the spies who were sent there. The former were equated with the latter, and the fate of both was rather sad, so there was no point in Artyom thinking about getting to Polis through three stations that belonged to the Red Line. Generally, there wasn't an easy route into the very heart of the metro, to Polis. Just the mere mention of this name in a conversation made Artyom and most others fall into a reverential silence. He cleared. He clearly remembered even now the first time he heard the word in a story told by one of his stepfather's friends. Afterwards, when the guest had left, he asked Sequoy quietly what the word meant. His stepfather then looked at him and carefully looked at him carefully and with a vague sadness in his voice said, That RTM is probably the last place on the earth where people live like people. Where they haven't forgotten what the word person means, and moreover, how the word should sound. His stepfather smiled sadly and said, That is a city. Polis was located where four metro lines crossed, and it took up four stations all by itself. Alexander's Garden, Abatskaya, 
Borovitskaya and the Lenin Library. That enormous territory was the last genuine seat of civilization, the last place with such a large population that provincial types who happened upon it couldn't help but call it a city. It was given a name, but it meant the same thing anyway, polis, and perhaps it was because this word had a foreign ring to it, an echo of a powerful and marvelous ancient culture which seemed to protect the settlement that the name stuck. Polis remained a unique phenomenon in the metro. There, and only there, you could still meet the keepers of old and strange knowledge, which, in this severe new world, with its disappearing laws, you just couldn't find anymore. Knowledge for the inhabitants of almost all the other stations, and, in essence, for the whole metro, was slowly plunging into an abyss of chaos and ignorance, becoming useless along with those who carried it. Driven from everywhere, the only refuge they found was in Polis, where they were welcomed with open arms because their colleagues were in power here. That's why in Polis, and only in Polis, you could meet de decrepit professors who at some point worked in the department of famous universities which were now empty and in ruins, crawling with rats and mold. And the last remaining artists lived there too, the actors, the poets, the last phys physicists, chemists, biologists, those who stored the best of man's achievements in their skulls, and who knew a thousand year, years of history, those who, whose knowledge would be lost when they died. Polis was below what used to be the very center of the city above. Right above Polis stood the building of Lenin's library, the most extensive storehouse of information to come from all ages. There were hundreds of thousands of books in dozens of languages, covering probably all the areas in which human thought was directed. There were hundreds of tones of hundreds of tonnets, tonnets of papers marked with all sorts of letters, signs, hieroglyphs, some of which no one could read anymore because the language had died with the last of their speakers. But the whole massive collection of books could still be read and understood, and the people who did died a hundred years ago and who wrote them still had a lot to say to the living. Of all the confederations, empires, and powerful stations who had the means to send expeditions to the surface, only Polis sent stalkers up to go to get books. It was the only place where knowledge was valued so much that people were willing to risk the lives of their volunteers for the sake of books, 
to pay enormous sums to those they hired to do it and forego material assets for the sake of acquiring spiritual assets. And despite the seeming impracticality and idealism of the administration, Polis stood strong year after year and troubles bypassed. And troubles bypassed it. If any danger threatened it, then the whole metro was ready to rally for its protection. The echoes of the last battle that took place there in living memory between the Red Line and the Hansa had died down and there was a magic aura of invulnerability and well-being surrounding Polis again. And when Archeum thought about his wonderful city, this, and when Ardian thought about this wonderful city, it didn't seem strange to him at all that the journey to such a place wouldn't be easy. Or that the journey to such a place wouldn't be easy. He would have to get lost, go through dangers and tests of strength. Otherwise, the purpose of the journey would have its charms wasted. If the way through Korovskaya along the red line to the Lenin Library seemed impenetrable and too risky, then he'd have to try to overcome the Hansa patrol and go along the ring. Artyom peered into the charred map even more closely. Now, if he could be successful in getting through the Hansa territory, by creating some sort of pretext, chatting to the guards at the cordons, breaking through with a fight or by some other means, then the trip to Polis would be short enough. Artyom pushed his finger into the map and drew it again, and, and drew it along the lines. If he went from Prospect Mur in the direction of the ring, through the two stations that belonged to the Hansa, he would come out at Kurskaya. Then he could switch over to the Abatsko-Takrosk line. Pokrosk line. And from there he could get a Arbatskaya. He could get to Arbatskaya, which is to say, to Polis. True, Revolution Square was on the way, surrendered after the war to the Red Line in exchange for the Lenin Library, but the Reds guaranteed free transit to all travelers. This was one of the basic conditions of the peace agreement, and since Artyom was not planning to st on staying at that station, but just going through it, he would ideally be let through freely. Having thought about it, he decided to stick with that plan, plan and try to iron out the details along the way about the stations he would have to pass through. If something didn't work out, he said to himself, 
he could always find an alternative route. Looking at the interlacing lines of the numerous passages, Artyom thought that the commander went a bit too far in painting a picture of the difficulties of even the shortest trips through the metro. For example, you could get from Prospect Mur, not from the right, but from the left. Artyom drew his finger down the map to the ring until you get to Kivskaya, and there you could go through the pedestrian passage to the Filovskaya line or the Abatsko Pokrovskoy line with just two stops to Polis. The task didn't seem so impossible to Artyom anymore. The little exercise with the map it had the little exercise with the map had given given him confidence in himself. Now he knew how to, to act and no longer doubted that when the caravan got to Rizskaya, he wouldn't be returning with the group back to VD and KH, but would go on with his journey to Polis. Studying Zinya, asking him, having walked right up to Artyom without his noticing, Artyom jumped up in surprise and tried to hide the map in his confusion. Yes, no, I was... I wanted to find the station on the maps where where this Reich is. The one that the commander was telling us about before. Well then, did you find it? No. Oh, come on. Let me show you. Zanya said with a sense of superiority. He oriented himself in the metro much better than Artyom. Better than their other contemporaries, too, and he was proud of it. He put his finger on the triangle of Chekhovskaya, Pishkinskaya, and Tverskaya straight away without the mistaking mistake. Artyom ex exhaled with relief, but Zinya thought it was only of envy. He decided to console Artyom. Don't worry, one day you'll be as good as me in figuring it out. Artyom had an expression of gratitude on his face and hurried to change the subject. How long are we stopping here, he asked. Young men, let's be off. The booming bat, bat bass of the commander's voice rang out. And Artyom understood that there would be no more resting, and he hadn't managed to get anything to eat. Again, it was Artyom and Zenya's turn to be on the cart. The levers started to grind, boots started to clatter against the concrete, and they were off again into the tunnel. This time, the group moved forward in silence, and only the commander spoke. 
you killed Kirill to the front and no he had called Kirill to the front and discussed something quietly with him Artyom had neither the strength nor the desire to hear the, their conversation all his energy were taken up by the accursed card the man at the rear left all alone felt distinctly uncomfortable and timidly looked behind himself again and again. Artyom was standing facing him in the cart and could see that there was nothing scary behind him that he was just as reassured when he glanced over his own shoulder to the front. This fear and mistrust followed him always and it wasn't just him. Any lone traveler was familiar with this feeling. They even had a name for it, tunnel fear. It was when you were going along a tunnel, especially if you had a bad flashlight and it felt like there was danger right behind your back. Sometimes the feeling was so augmented that you felt someone's gaze all the nape of no at the at the nape of your neck or not even a gaze but who knew who or what was there and how to perceive the world and then sometimes it was so intolerable intolerable oppressive that you couldn't stand it and you turned around lightning fast poking your flashlight into the darkness, and there was no, no one there. Silence, emptiness, all was quiet. But while you were looking behind you and straining your eyes into the darkness until they heard, and the darkness was condensing behind you, again, you wanted to throw yourself in the other direction to light the tunnel ahead. Was anyone there? Had anyone stolen uh, stolen up on you while you were looking the other way? And again, the main thing was not to lose control, not to give in to the fear, to convince yourself that it was all crap and that there was nothing to be afraid of and that you hadn't heard anything anyway. But it was very hard to control yourself, especially when you were walking along. People had lost their minds. They just couldn't calm themselves down, even when they reached inhabited stations. Then, of course, slowly they came to themselves again, but they couldn't make themselves go into the tunnel again or they would immediately be seized by the same feeling of alarm, familiar to every metro dweller, and it could turn into a pernicious delusion. Don't be scared, I'm watching, Artyom shouted to the man at the back, and the man nodded. But after a couple of minutes, he couldn't help it, and looked behind him again. It was hard. A guy I know at Saragi also 
went a little crazy like that, Zinya said quietly, knowing what Artyom had been referring to. To be fair, he had a pretty serious reason for it. He decided to go through the tunnel at Sekaraskaya. Remember I was telling you about it? Where you shouldn't ever go alone and you have to go in a caravan? Well, the guy lived and you know why he survived. Zanya smirked because he didn't have enough courage to go beyond the hundredth meter. When he was heading in, he was so brave and resolute. <laughs> After 20 minutes, he came back, his eyes goggling, his hair standing on end, and he couldn't pronounce a single discernible word. So, they didn't get anything out of him, and since then, he speaks incoherently, mostly lowering, lowing like a cow and won't put a foot in the tunnel. Just says at Sekharovskaya, begging. He's the local village idiot now. Is the moral, uh, no. Is the moral of the story clear now? Yeah, Artyom said uncertainly. The group moved along for a while in total silence. Artyom sunk into his thoughts again and walked like that for a while, trying to think of something plausible to say at the exit post to get out of Reskaya. And so, they continued after, until after a while, he noticed some kind of strange sound that was getting louder and louder, coming from the tunnel ahead of him. This noise, which had been almost inaudible to begin with, was on the border of audible sound and ultrasound. Slowly and imperceptibly gaining strength so that you couldn't tell when you started hearing it. It reminded him of a whisper, uh, whistling whisper more than anything incomprehensible and inhuman. Artyom quickly looked over at the others. They were all moving rhythm rhythmically and silently. The commander had stopped talking to Kirill. Zanya was thinking about something and the man at the back was calmly looking forward, having stopped his nervous backward glancing. They didn't hear anything. Nothing, Artyom. Nothing. Artyom became scared. The calm and silence of the group became even more noticeable against the background of this whispering, which was getting louder and louder, and it was incomprehensible and frightening. Artyom stopped working the lever and stood up to his full height. Zanya looked at him in surprise. Sonya's eyes were clear with no trace of the drugs that Artyom was afraid he might find there. Where are, no, what are you doing? Zinya asked, annoyed. Are you tired or something? You should have stopped. You shouldn't. You should have said so and not just stopped like that. 
you don't hear anything, already amassed in bewilderment, and something in his voice made Zanya's face change expression. Zanya's face, no, Zanya listened harder without ceasing to work the lever. The cart however, was getting slower and slower because Artyom was still standing there with a confused look, catching the echoes of the mysterious noise. The commander noticed this and turned around. What's wrong with you? Have your batteries run out? You don't hear anything? Artyom asked him. And at that moment, a foul sensation crept into his soul that maybe there was no noise and that's why no one heard it. He was just going mad. He was imagining it of fear. Imagining it out of fear. The commander gave the signal to stop so that the squeaking of the car wouldn't interfere and the grumble of the boots would die away. His hands crept up onto his machine gun and he stood motionless and tense, listening and turning one ear to the channel, or to the to the tunnel. The strange noise was right there now. Artyom could hear it. Distinctly and the clearer the sound became, the more attentive Artyom, Artyom peered at the commander's face trying to make out if he could also hear what was filling Artyom's consciousness with ever-strengthening agitation. But the features of the commander's face gradually smoothed out, and Artyom was overcome with a sense of shame. Moreover, he had stopped the group for nothing and had freaked out and alarmed the others as well. Zinya clearly couldn't hear anything either, even though he was trying. Having given up his work at last, he looked at Artyom with spiteful mockery, looking him in the eye and asked, Hallucinations? Fuck off, Artyom unexpectedly shouted with irritation. What are you, all deaf or something? Hallucinations, Zinya concluded. Quiet. There's nothing. You just thought you heard it, probably. Don't worry. It happens. Don't get tense. Artyom, go ahead and start up again, and we'll go on, the commander said softly, calming the situation and walking ahead himself. Artyom had no other option but to return to work. He earnestly tried to convince himself that the whisper was only in his imagination, that it was just tension. He tried to relax and not think about anything, hoping he could throw the sound out of his head along with his disturbing and rushing thoughts. He managed to stop the thoughts for a time, but in his empty head the sound grew more resonant louder and clearer. He gained strength from the fact that they were all moving further to the south and when the noise had become so great that it seemed to fill the whole metro, 
Artyom suddenly noticed that Xenia was working. That Xenia was working with just one hand, and that without noticing it, he was rubbing his ears with the other. What are you doing? Artyom whispered to him. I don't know. They're blocked. They're itching. Xenia mumbled. And you don't hear anything? Artyom asked. No, I don't hear a thing, but I feel pressure. Xenia whispered in a response. There wasn't a trace of the former irony in his voice. The sound had reached an effigy, and then Artyom understood where it was coming from. It was emanating from one of the pipes that lay along the tunnel walls. It had been used as a communication line, and who knows what else. The pipe was burst, and the torn black muzzle was emitting this strange noise. It was coming from the depths of the pipe, and as Artyom tried to figure out why there were no wires, nothing, just complete emptiness and blackness, the commander stopped suddenly and said slowly and laboriously, Guys, let's hear. Let's have a break. I don't feel so well. Something in my head. He approached the cart with uncertain steps so he could sit on its edge, but he hadn't gone a step before he dropped like a bag to the ground. Zinya looked at him in confusion, rubbing his ears with both hands and not moving from his place. Kirill, for some reason, had continued walking alone as though nothing had happened, not reacting to their shouts. The man at the back sat down on the rails and started to cry helplessly like a baby. The light of the flashlight beamed at the tunnel's ceiling and lit from below. The scene looked even more sinister. Artyom picked, uh, panicked. Clearly, he was the only one whose mind hadn't been dulled by the sound. But the noise was becoming completely intolerable, preventing any concrete thoughts from developing. Artyom covered his ears in despair, and that helped a little. Then, with all his might, he slapped Xenia, who was rubbing his ears with a silly expression on his face, and yelled at him, trying to overcome, trying to overcome the noise, forgetting that he was the only one to hear it. Pick up the commander. Put the commander in the cart. We can't stay here. No way. We have to get out of here. And he picked up the fallen flashlight and went after Kirill, who was marching like a sleepwalker into the pitch darkness ahead. Luckily, Kirill was walking rather slowly. In a few bounds, Artyom managed to chase him down and tap him on the shoulder. But Kirill continued walking and they were getting further and further away from the others. Artyom ran ahead of him, and, not knowing what to do, he directed the flashlight into Kirill's eyes. They were closed, but Kirill suddenly frowned and 
broke his stride. Then Ardium, holding him with one hand, used the other to lift Quirrell's eyelids and shine the light into his pupil. Quirrell screamed, began to blink, shook his head, and regained consciousness in a fraction of a second and opened his eyes, looking at Ardium in bewilderment. Blinded by the flashlight, he could almost see nothing, and Ardium had to lead him by the hand back to the car. The unconscious body of the commander was lying on the cart and Xenia sat next to him with those same stupid expression, with, with the same stupid expression on his face, leaving Kirill at the cart. Artyom went to the man at the back who was still sitting there in the, on the rails crying. Having looking him in the eye, Artyom met a look of total suffering, and the feeling was so sharp that he stepped backwards in fear that he himself might also start crying in the face of this pain. They were all killed, and it was so painful. Artyom made out the words between sobs. Artyom tried to get the man to stand up, but he pulled away and unexpectedly cried out angrily, Pigs, bad people, I won't go anywhere with you. I want to stay here. They are so lonely and are in so much pain here, and you want to take me away from here. It's all your fault. I won't go anywhere. Anywhere. Let me go. You hear? After first, at first, Artyom wanted to slap him, thinking that that might bring him back to his senses. But then he was afraid that the guy was so excited that he might just retaliate instead. So Artyom got down on his knees in front of the man, and even though it was difficult since the noise was so loud, he spoke softly. 